Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Premed Years is part of the MedEd Media Network at mededmedia.com. This is The Premed Years, session number 252. Hello and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. As I said at the beginning, my name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I want to welcome you and thank you for being here, taking the time to listen. I also want to welcome you, or not welcome you, invite you to coming out to Davis, California, to the UC Davis Pre-Health Conference. It's October 14th, and I will be there. I'll be speaking. I'll have a table set up in the tent and vendor area. I'll be giving away shirts and books and stickers and tons of other things. So if you can make it, if you have to fly in, it's worth it. They're expecting 4,500 students this year. I'm a huge fan of networking and meeting people in person, getting together. So I would love to meet you and have you meet a lot of the other pre-med students who believe in collaboration and not competition. That evening on the 14th, I'll also hold a meetup in Davis, California. We'll go find a place to have some dinner. We'll hang out and we will chat. So I look forward to meeting you there. Today, I have a great guest, a student who's been part of the Hangout for a while, somebody who has not been shy about talking about his struggles getting in to medical school. This is a student who's former military, who has PTSD. He struggled with ADHD, and we talked all about that, what he did for his personal statements, how he's gone about it in medical school, and now what he's doing in medical school to make sure that he's succeeding. Let's go ahead and jump in and say hi to David. David, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. It's such a privilege to be on this side of the uh, podcast. <laughs> to be a guest and not a listener. So we're going to talk about your journey and how you are now a guest and not a listener. But the question I always love to start with is when did you realize that you wanted to be a doctor? I kind of thought about it younger when I was younger, but I just didn't really take it seriously. I didn't think I could do well enough to get into med school until I was in my late twenties and doing great in college. And I was like, maybe I can make this happen. Why, why did you think about being a doctor though in the first place? So being a good student doesn't necessarily mean you want to be a doctor. It had to be some other part of it. Well, I I think it was 
part of my experience in the military and, and seeing the horrors of um, I, combat in Iraq. And um, I just, you know, I wanted to do something different and do something good. And I think the greatest impact that any event has had on me um, was um, just as a pseudo translator. Uh, I was, my job was an infantryman. So I was, my job was to shoot bad guys, basically, uh, not to do, not anything medical. And so there was this moment where, because I knew some Arabic, they sent me to uh, uh, help translate for a clinic that my unit set up in Baghdad. And so there I was, and a bunch of Iraqi women were bringing in their kids, um, infants that had spina bifida. And in Iraq, that's basically a death sentence. And so what we're doing is um, the medical team was assessing and referring them to clinics in the United States and in Europe. and you know, just seeing the reaction of the mothers, uh, them getting hope for the first time in their life and, and me just being basically a fly on the wall. I wasn't doing anything uh, medical and, and just saying, wow, this this is something very different than what I normally do. And it feels great just to be, you know, even minimally a part of this. When you have that epiphany, and that's that's an amazing experience to go, wow, there, there's this whole other world out there different than what I'm doing now. How do you, how do you then move forward and, and go, okay, I, I still need to do my, my day job of being, um, being in the military and, and doing the, the job that you were tasked to do. But now you had this seed that was planted saying, I need, I need to explore medicine a little bit more. How did you juggle that? And for how long did you have to juggle that before you're able to, to go back to school? So again, like, um, I grew up with ADHD, it was undiagnosed. So, um, it wasn't until I got into the U S army, uh, where my mom said, well, you should probably get tested because your brother got tested for it and he's doing great in school. So I was like, okay. Um, and I started getting treatment for it in, in the military, but I still, my point of reference was I'm a horrible student. So again, it wasn't until I got out of the army and went to college and, uh, Basically, we, I mean, it wasn't until my junior year that I said, yeah, I mean, I'm doing really good. There was such a sharp contrast that I started thinking about it, but I just went ahead and graduated and um, I, I worked for the VA in mental health uh, uh, in a PTSD clinic and I enjoyed what I was doing, but yeah, I felt a little limited because I was in a, a support role. So then it was at that point in time, I said, okay, I need to go back to school, get my post back in, uh, uh, with all the prereqs for med school. And, uh, you know, I started doing that and that's when I really started my actual path to med school. So it was a, a convoluted route to say the least. When you, you, so you had undiagnosed ADHD, did you attempt college at all? Or was it in your mind that you were just a terrible student? And so you went into the military? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, everyone would always say, oh yeah, you're intelligent and this and that, but, um, uh, I couldn't, I mean, it was hard for me just to put a book down and read. I mean, it's, uh, it was always a struggle. So, you know, I needed, I think the military help besides the medical treatment, besides the medication, I think the discipline that I gained in the military, um, in, in both militaries really helped later on. But again, 
it wasn't until I went back to went went to college uh, after the military that I really realized how good I can do. When you started your postback course with ADHD, now I'm assuming treated, right? What did you struggle with uh, at that point? Being somebody with ADHD, being on medications, yet knowing that this is your opportunity to to prove that you're a good student what did you still struggle with then um i think i think one of the main things is personally is the side effects of the medication um the fact that you know i I take um, a medication that you know it only lasts so many hours and then you get withdrawal symptoms like headaches and stuff like that and basically during that period of time i have to do my most of my studying, I have to do most of my schoolwork. So you have to plan ahead. Um, you have to be pretty uh, schedule oriented. All those stuff help. And and also, I realized procrastination is not my not an option for me. So as soon as I would have a task at hand, as soon as I had a paper due or, or find out about a paper, I would start tackling it. That way, um, not only did I not have any anxiety that related to that, um, I also uh, you know, felt that, um, you know, I could move to other things. And, and so it, it made, it made it a lot easier to, to be very detail oriented, which is pretty ironic because people with ADHD are not very organized to begin with. So that was another big battle. What, what things do you do outside of obviously taking medications? What other life hacks, so to speak, have you learned to help with your day-to-day as a student with ADHD? Um, I would say if you teach it, you know, that just, I think that's true for everyone, but it really helps me. Um, I mean, I remember, so I took some nursing prereqs as well. So I took like anatomy or whatever. Um, and what I would do is I would just sit there. I I have three dogs, um, and I would talk to my dogs and or talk to my wife and, and, and try to teach it to them. I think my wife hates me because of it, but I mean, to this day, even in med school, I'll just go over some stuff and try to, if, if I can explain a process or I can explain how things are related, it gets easier to remember. And, um, uh, so, so it's, you know, I think that that's basically the, the take home message for me is if you teach it, you know it. Yeah. I, I think that's huge for, for anybody, ADHD, non-ADHD, whatever, yeah. whatever you have or don't have, um, if you can teach a subject, which is why we always talk about study groups and and yeah. especially for the MCATs, building that that network of students, some some students who struggle in one section and you struggle you struggle in another, and just everybody teaching each other. Did did you utilize study groups at all for any part of your schooling? Uh. Yeah, you know, for me it was a little different because I was a non-traditional um and and definitely older than my peers, so I kind of, you know, and and, and doing it as a postback, I didn't really know too many people. Like there's one guy I really knew pretty well and he's actually in my class right now in medical school. So, other than that, I mean, every now and then I'd have a random study group, uh but for the most part I'd do it at home <laughs> with your dogs. That's your study group. And, and wife, yeah. <laughs> When it came to, so taking post classes 
is one thing. But when it came to studying for the MCAT, how did you cope with that? Or was it really the same skills of being able to teach it to your dogs? Uh, some, in some cases, yeah. I mean, I mean, can't say that's, that would be the case for cars. Cars is just doing a bunch of passages until you, you hate yourself. Uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, for biochem, that's definitely the case. Um, you know, for, for, for the psychology, uh, I'll tell you what, like, I think the thing that helped me the most with psych, even though I was a psych major, there was still some stuff that I was rusty. I would literally just go on walks and listen to like Khan Academy videos. I'll, I'll download that, the videos to my phone and mm-hmm. listen to them offline and just over and over again. And I would talk to myself about what they were saying. <laughs> and I'm sure some people thought I was crazy when I was going on my walks. Yeah. But that helped. Okay. And so you're, you found a way that you can learn through, through audio, which is great. Some, some students can do that. Some students can't. I'm a huge, uh, audio fan. I, I learn audibly, um, which I, I love books on tape or audible and podcasts, which is why I really love podcasts. Do you think that for you, um, there's any one specific modality of learning uh, that has worked better for you or is it just a little bit of everything and, and that's how you figure it all out? Yeah, definitely. It's a little bit of everything. I think for the psych social stuff, for the MCAT specifically, that worked great um, audio, but like you could not do that for most biochem stuff or, or orgo or gen chem. Um, like for biochem, literally is just writing everything down and trying to understand, you know, okay, well, if this enzyme stops working, this is why down, down range there'd be some issues. So for that one, you know, it's a different mode, um, for other, you know, for other topics, it's probably more just muscle memory, um, just paying attention. It just depends on the topic. Um, I will say this in med school, uh, and, it's it's a totally been a totally different journey some techniques that i've used in college are are just not working <laughs> how do you adjust to that uh i'm only three weeks in, so i don't i i think i think the deal is is and, and this is pretty much everyone i talk to in my class is basically what you do is you just try different techniques every other day and see if it works if it if it if it's if it clicks keep on going and then you know, every time you have a, 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 a quiz or a test and you see, you can do some self-estimate. There's some techniques that are, I, that have definitely worked well. Uh, if you teach it, if you can teach it, you know, definitely that that's, that's good for life. Um, but then again, you don't have the same amount of time to do the same. Some of the other techniques that you've used as an undergraduate, just because of the, the amount of material. A lot of students who have dealt with anxiety, any sort of mental health issues, ADHD, whatever it is, when it comes to applying to medical school, the big question is, do I talk about it in my applications? How did you go about making that decision of of talking about it in your application, whether it's on your personal statement or somewhere else, and what did you end up doing? Oh, uh, I think that's a great question because I, I kind of, so I also have a diagnosis from P, for PTSD from my experience in Iraq. Um, and so I actually decided consciously because 
I had to explain my ADHD. Or at least I felt I had to because it it was a crucial part of my narrative. And if I would have left it out, it it would have been weird to explain a personal statement like how I ended up on this path or why I didn't decide to do it much earlier. Um, so I felt that I have to do it. And but at the same time, I felt um, that you know if I would talk about that and my PTSD, it might it might be a uh, a risky endeavor. So I decided to, um, not verbatim say that I have PTSD. I, I had mentioned, um, dealing with the loss of some of my comrades and how that affected me in, in this journey as well. But I did not spell that out, but I definitely mentioned how I overcame ADHD, in my personal statement. I made sure of that. I, th- I think ADHD is one of those that's a lot more accepting than maybe it used to be. And so, Absolutely. It's a little bit safer to talk about. There's less of a stigma around it. So I think that's good. PTSD is still one of those. It's still very unknown with who it affects mm-hmm. and how it affects people. And so I think I, I think, um, I think, maybe you made a good decision there. When it came to your interviews, did, did any of that come up during your interviews? Not at all. Um, I actually, and I'm going to be perfectly honest, I did horrible in my interviews. Um, my anxiety went through the roof and, um, you know, I, I had prepared with my wife and, and, and other people that I knew just, you know, doing mock interviews. And, um, but once it came to the interview day and obviously the night before I didn't sleep good and it was just, I did really bad, even, you know, just starting and mumbling. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and, and in my interviews, that was like the feedback, um, that I got that I just performed, uh, performed really, really bad. And my anxiety was up. So really, <laughs> um, my advice would be, uh, to probably do professional rehearsals if you feel you have anxiety or just maybe, um, talk to your healthcare provider if you have anxiety issues. Um, some, you know, uh, kinds of medication can help reduce that kind of anxiety. Like, um, uh, it wasn't until after my interviews that, uh, I realized that there's some, um, medication that I can get on that would help in those kind of social events. Mm-hmm. Did, uh, that, was that yeah, something no. that, was that something that you knew was going to happen or was that like you got to the interview and were like, what's going on? I'm, I'm all of a sudden very, very nervous. Yeah. So it was really like, um, you know, I've been to war and I've been for all this crazy stuff. And, uh, I didn't feel as anxious. I I did during interviews, I guess the, the, the importance of the event hit me and it was surprising. Um, cause normally I'm pretty confident and it just, it was really unexpected. And, um, you know, um, uh, I, I didn't know how to prepare for it, I guess, because it was, uh, sudden. You you said you did some mock interviews with your wife and some other people. Did you know those other people when you were doing the mock interviews? Yeah, so so that's definitely a take home message. I knew uh, the people, so I kind of felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. And um, to be honest with you, I so when I applied the uh, when I applied the first time, um, you know, I only had like minimal experience with doctors. I had one actual shadowing experience that 
that was a couple years before and I worked with some, you know, in, in mental, when I worked in mental health. So I worked with a couple of doctors there. So I didn't really know too many doctors and feel super comfortable with them. And it wasn't until later in that interview season that I started shadowing again. And I started really feeling comfortable around doctors. I think that was part of it too, is this unnatural anxiety of being around, you know, doctors. I don't know why. (laughs) Being intimidated. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's probably the best term. And, um, uh, had I not gotten accepted this cycle, I I think I would have done probably better just because of that, just because I had, um, a lot more shadowing and, you know, uh, talk to a lot of doctors uh, for that process. How many times did you have to apply to get in? So I, I got in first time, uh, but it was I didn't get accepted until later in the cycle. So that's why I um, I didn't want to risk it. And I started the reapplication process uh, and started shadowing and I started volunteering okay. more. Yeah. Okay. So I, well, I'll, I'll dig into that in a second. Sure. So... You you went to school at University of Alabama, Birmingham, so UAB. You're from Alabama, lived in Alabama for a long time. When it came to choosing schools to apply to, how did you go about deciding MD, DO, and, and what schools to apply to and how many to apply to? So initially... I'll, I'll be honest with you. I did not apply to as many schools as I probably should have. Um, Alabama is, um, I guess, for in-state applicants in Alabama, you have a pretty good chance if you're decent enough, as opposed to other places, say, that are more competitive. But um, I did not initially apply to DO because at the time I did not shadow DO. And so um, by the time I applied, um, I was like, well, how many get a letter of recommendation from DO right now? So I just decided not not to apply to DO programs. In hindsight, that was a huge mistake. Um, and when I uh, started my reapplication process, I had already shadowed DOs this time, and I applied to about 16 programs. So had I not gone in this time, I would probably um, applied to or gotten in, interviewed at some of those. So when you so you didn't apply to any DO schools the first time around or the only no. time around? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I basically applied to uh, a few MD programs based on my MCAT score and obviously okay. all the, the two in-state ones. Yeah. Okay. And how, how many programs total did you apply to? Um, I want to say six. Okay. Yeah. So you said not enough. So six is, is on the lower end. So, um, if you're listening to this and you don't know the average, the average is about 14 or 15. So six is definitely way below average. And was that a factor of location or was it a factor of budget because it's expensive to apply to medical schools? Well, I, my issue was more or less basically I, I made so many mistakes in my application. So basically, don't be me. But um, my issue was basically I went off my MCAT score and I went off of like um, where I'd be a good applicant. And and I looked at the, you know, average or median of the programs. But, you know, I probably would have had some more interviews at some of these other programs if if I would have just tried to apply to some of them. But um, my MCAT score was kind of like 
not too not not the worst, but not the best, but a little on the low end of what'd you a get? Lot of averages. What'd you get? Let's let's uh, talk numbers. Five oh five. Five oh five. That's a good score. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's just a score. Um, <laughs> Okay, so decent. You got a decent score. And so I think you made the mistake that a lot of students make is they look at that median number. And that median number doesn't tell you anything other than 50% of the students got higher than that score and 50% got lower than that score. That's the only thing that number tells you. It doesn't tell you whether or not you're going to be competitive at that school. Absolutely. And, and, and not only that, you know, I've talked to uh, other veterans and that, that applied to Ivy League medical schools and they got and there are some that got in with pretty low scores for those programs just because of their uh, unique background. So yep. definitely don't, don't go over, <laughs> you know, just the MCAT because uh, that was my mistake, I guess. You interviewed at South Alabama. And, but, but you weren't accepted until June, the end of June. What happened in that interim? Did, were you communicating with them? Were they communicating with you? Oh yeah. Uh, so basically they, they, they put me on hold status until the end of the interview season. And then at the end of the interview season, they put me on a wait list. Um, so from basically March until the end of June, um, I was in this, well, I guess I interviewed actually pretty early in October. So I was in limbo that whole time. And, uh, you know, as soon as they put me on that wait list, I, you know, I try to communicate and see what's up. And, uh, I, I called the administrative offices a few times, be just to see where I'm at. And of course I can't tell you where you're on the list, but, you know, uh, I was, you know, trying to see if I can get maybe some feedback because I was thinking I wasn't going to make it, you know, come, I think May, I, I reached out and tried to see, you know, if I can get feedback from them. Um, and then um, as the season progressed even longer, uh, I asked, you know, okay, well, you know, I need to move soon. If I do get accepted, am I, where am I at the list? So I could see if I need to look for a house or whatever. Um, <laughs> so obviously they didn't tell me anything, but, um, they said, well, you're still on the list and, you know, you may or may not get in or it, it, it was a confusing time to be honest with you. Frustrating because now the, the new application cycles open, right? By the time you, you got your acceptance, the new application cycles already opened up. So it sounded like you were already going through that process of reapplying. Yeah. I was doing my secondaries at that point. I mean, I, I applied as soon as I could. I applied to, you know, so all those stuff that the don'ts that I was telling you about the first time I applied. I, so I got a, I got FAP, uh, the fee assistance, mm -hmm. uh, for, for both MD and DL this time. So I, I mean, I was doing all the right things, uh, that I didn't do the first time around. And I was actually, I felt so much more confident this time applying, I, I, I knew I would get in. I mean, it was just, uh, so actually by the time I got accepted, I was super happy. Don't get me wrong. Um, actually it was funny. The way I found out was I called them because it was late June. I said, Hey, well, what's, 
what's the deal? Let me talk to the dean of admission. And the lady in the administrative office, she puts me on hold. And then instead of hearing him, I hear her voice again. She says, you know what? I'm not going to have you talk to the dean because you got accepted. I'm going to write your letter anyway this afternoon, so I might as well tell you on the phone. And I was like, what? Um, <laughs> so so you were randomly calling the school to to check on something or to ask a question? Yeah, well, I was calling the school to see if I, you know, if I need to do any, make any arrangements, like if I need to move or not, you know, or, or start scouting because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, school start starts, uh, when does school start? Like, you know, en- end of July. So you need to, to yeah. be prepared. So you were uh, you were still checking in based on being on the wait list. Absolutely. Okay. And uh but um I don't know like I it was it was funny because I was just so in tune and in the mode that I would get in one way or another that it at that point I was just comfortable getting in but it wasn't like you know oh you know I may or may not get in next year but I was just really um, and I think that's, that's a huge part of it is when you apply the first time, make, make sure you, you have that right feeling that you checked all the boxes and you don't have to worry about like, well, maybe I'm not a good applicant, uh, on the stuff that you can easily control, like shadowing, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, applying broadly, like calling programs. So this time around, I actually called some of the DO programs in state and i i sent them my stats and you know i wanted feedback and so i was communicating to some of these admission uh, organizations already how often when you were on the wait list how often were you checking in with the school um i want to say about once a month uh after the interview season ended okay so um, and you were talking directly to the dean of admissions at that point, saying, "Hey, what's going on?" Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you think that had any role in your ultimate acceptance? Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Nobody knows I, the answer to that. Yeah, yeah, and I don't. I, I mean, so so I actually asked for feedback from him, like I, like I was saying earlier, mm-hmm. because. You know, it was, it was May and I wasn't in yet. And he, he said, well, you're a great candidate and you would have been in already had you not interviewed so poorly. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so that made me feel good because um, actually at that time I was uh, enrolled to retake the MCAT. Oh, okay. Um, and, and it's funny because I had already um, had feedback from UAB a couple months earlier and they said their dean of admissions had told me, uh, face to face, he said, you should take, retake the MCAT. Mm. Um, so at that point in time, I said, Nope, I'm not retaking this test. Yeah. (laughs) Was there any question in your mind? Once you got that acceptance, you were already in the process of reapplying. Did you ever think maybe I'm going to go through with this application cycle? I'm more confident now I can get into a better school, a different school, or did you take the, did you, immediately say okay i'm done I'm, i got in it's over well to be honest with you, yeah yeah i mean I, I wanted to for one thing i really liked my uh experience at south at south alabama uh when i interviewed there um i really liked the the size of the program and um and and staying in state so really it was a no-brainer for me to to take that acceptance on that and uh, at that point, but you know, 
the even if I wouldn't have got accepted, I would have been fine because I was I was cool with it. I was just so confident um, this time around that. But um, I was I was ready to start. Plus, my wife wouldn't be too happy about it. <laughs> Going through medical school, you, now you're a couple weeks in with ADHD. How has that transition been going from being a, a college student with ADHD and now being a medical student with ADHD? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I think it's the same kind of difference for everyone. It's just, they, they use this metaphor um, of the fire hydrant. Basically, there's just a ton of information coming at you and basically you can, whatever's hitting you is, all the information you can process and the rest is just, <laughs> you won't process it. And uh, so everyone probably in medical school feels like they have ADHD, you know, you're just not processing everything. Um, but, but as someone that has ADHD, it's just a lot of the tools that I've used to focus uh, still, you know, still work. It's just the, the specific stu- studying techniques uh, have to be adjusted. Um, but overall, if, if, if it worked for you as an undergraduate with ADHD, it, it could work in med school. Um, you just have to work a little harder than everyone else. That's, that's the truth. Yeah. So, David, as we wrap up here, for somebody in their undergrad, maybe even in high school, that is struggling with their own diagnosis of whatever it is, and they're questioning whether or not they're, they're smart enough, good enough to get into medical school to be a medical student and ultimately a physician, what would you say to him or her to motivate uh, them on their journey? Um, well, one thing is just a diagnosis and, and really success in, in any academic level is, is a function of your effort. Uh, so if you, if you want to do it and you put forth the effort, um, then you can make it happen. It, don't let, you can't let that diagnosis or whatever others tell you to, to get in your way of what you want to do. And not only that, uh, I think that it's important that there are more physicians out there that have these kind of issues, that they can have more of that empathy uh, to better understand these populations rather than just, you know, um, be, because doctors aren't perfect. They're just like normal people. Everyone, everyone has this misconception that doctors are like so much better than everyone else and only the elite can go there, uh, can become doctors. But, but in truth, it's, you know, anyone could, could make it happen. It's just, you just have to put forth the effort. All right. There you have it again. That was David sharing his story of triumph, getting into medical school, even with his early struggles of dealing with ADHD dealing with PTSD and everything else that he had to overcome to get into medical school. He is one of those students that is showing you, no matter what is in your path, you can overcome it. As long as you figure out how to do it, you get the support behind you to do it. And first and foremost, you believe in yourself. I hope you join us next week when we talk to a director of a postback program in Pennsylvania. Have a great day. We'll see you next time here at the Pre-Med Years and MedEd Media.